Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Vic Sharma. He's the founder of Cake Wallet. And before I bring him on, I just want to make a really quick announcement for anybody who missed it this week. We are now integrated with Cake Wallet, which is the first open source Monero wallet ever since 2018. So now Unstoppable Domains is integrated with Cake Wallet, which means that Anybody who uses Cake Wallet can now send Monero, Bitcoin, Litecoin across over 50 different wallets and exchanges with your blockchain domain name, your human readable username. So I'm super excited to bring Vic on today to chat more about Cake Wallet, um, how that was developed and everything else that you need to know about this um, really awesome Monero wallet, which if you're a Monero holder, you already know everything about Cake Wallet, I'm sure. But for everybody else, hopefully this will be an interesting podcast for you. So welcome, Vic. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. So before we dive into Cake Wallet, I, I'm curious to know a little bit about your background and how you got into crypto. So take me back to who was Vic before you got into crypto? And then what was it about crypto that drew you in? I've always been in the steel industry. You know, I did electrical engineering as undergrad and then joined the family business in steel. And even today now, I'm a director of a, uh, of a steel company. We have many operations across the U.S., but because of the electrical engineering background, and in the 80s even, I was a little bit of a coder. Uh, I've always had a nerdy side and always kept in touch with uh, everything that was happening in the tech world. You know, I always had little side projects in, in, in IT, and I got in, interested into uh, Bitcoin in 2013, like a lot of people when it first went to $1,000. Just went down the rabbit hole and loved everything about it. And that eventually led me to Monero, but uh, I'll let you lead this conversation the way you want. Yeah. A lot of people can share in that story. And so I'm curious, like when you first learned about crypto, did it just click for you right away? Or were you maybe like skeptical at first and then it took you a little bit to fully understand what that was all about? I mean, I'm very open minded to things like this. So I'll accept it first and then study it later, kind of. So that kind of happened in Bitcoin. It intrigued me. Um, and for some reason, 2013, the steel industry was very slow. So I sat in my office and went down the rabbit hole and watched YouTube videos, uh, read everything I possibly can, downloaded wallets, experimented, uh, actually even uh, got into mining in 2013. So I bought a couple ASIC miners off of uh, eBay. And again, not to you know earn Bitcoin because you know at that time, Bitcoin then dropped to $200. So we're wasn't making much in mining, but I just wanted to do it, see what's involved and, and, and what happens. So I ran that for about a year and a half, just just small, just two machines, just experimented. What I liked about it and what made it click was the permissionless part of, of crypto. You know, I was able to download this uh, wallet, uh, desktop wallet, without anybody's permission. I was able to send and receive Bitcoin without anybody's permission. And that to me was uh, really intriguing from day one. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm curious to know because I didn't get into crypto until the much later days. But back in the early days, what was the process like to even set up a wallet back then? Like, I know everybody today complains about bad UX, you know, it's complicated. But I would imagine that it was even like way more complicated back in 2013 to try and set up a wallet. Yeah, I'm not sure what mobile wallets there were back then. Um, I don't remember. Maybe there were, but I used the um, desktop GUI wallet, which is on Bitcoin.org, and that was very functional. And there was another popular wallet back then called um, Multibit, which uh, could support Litecoin and, and Bitcoin. That's pretty popular back then as well. So yeah, not as easy as today, uh, definitely. But um, but yeah, there were some tools back there. I think if you got into it before 2013. Yeah, then you're probably all in command line and you'd have to be a super nerd to use it. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, there were some, there some good, useful tools for everyday people. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So then, you know, you get into crypto and then you learn about, you know, all of these different cryptocurrencies. You learn about Monero. Which came first? Was it you learn about Monero first and then decided to create Cake Wallet? Or how did Cake Wallet, how was that born? How, was, how did that idea land in your head and, you know, you decided to go after it? Well, I mean, Bitcoin, like I said, the permissionless part of any crypto is fantastic. Um, sending funds across the world without a without a middleman is, is just fantastic. It's a great feeling. But what bothered me about Bitcoin all the time was the transparency that anytime I send somebody Bitcoin, they're going to see my balance. I don't know if you remember Alpha Bay. It was a dark net market. So, you know, everybody was talking about Silk Road and dark net and all this stuff. And I thought, what is this? You know, and a person likes to experiment. I thought, let me see what it's all about. So I logged on in 2014, even did research. I didn't even know how to do it just to check it out. And I saw there's this crypto called Monero. <laughs> and I'm like, why, why only Bitcoin Monero? What is this Monero thing? And I started, started going down the rabbit hole in Monero in early 2017, sorry. And I just loved what it offered, you know, privacy on all all ends of a transaction from a sender to receiver, as well as the amount you're sending is hidden. I thought that was quite, uh, quite fascinating that you couldn't see the balance of the wallet. You couldn't see the history of that wallet. I thought this is very uh, useful. And I didn't even think about fungibility back then. I mean, those words, I didn't even think about it. All that stuff came later. But I just thought the usable aspect of it was um, very interesting. And I had an iPhone. I wasn't an Android guy. And I thought, okay, there's no way to use it. You have to either have an Android. I don't, I'm not even sure if there was an Android wallet back then. But, um, yeah, to use it, you either have to do command line and be a total nerd. Or you had to use this uh, desktop GUI wallet, which is very nice. I have to give the Monero community a lot of credit. They built an amazing, amazing desktop wallet. But, you know, uh, to use something on the go, I thought, okay, uh, there's no iPhone wallet, a true iPhone blockchain wallet to open source. And I thought, let's let's make this. So near the third or fourth quarter in 2017, we started building it. And January 2018, we launched it. Maybe just to back up a little bit, too, for people who aren't familiar with Monero. Um, so privacy is sort of its main feature. Are there any other differentiators, but like key differentiators between Monero and something like Bitcoin or Ethereum that people listening might be more familiar with? Yeah, so um, 
Monero has a few key differences besides just the privacy part, like you said. I mean, hiding the sender receiver and the amount sent. Uh, it tops off at 18 million rather than 21 million coins. Um, it has 12 decimal places instead of eight decimal places like uh, Bitcoin does. But after it tops off at 18 million, there's a steady emission curve. It's not even a curve. It's a flat thing, um, which happens after the 18 million, 18 million are mined. Uh, it's a fixed amount uh, every year. And the Monero community did that to incentivize mining. And mining, of course, uh, keeps the network secure uh, and working. So the idea was, okay, if the mining goes away, what will happen? How will transactions get done? So a fixed emission um, kind of incentivizes miners, keeps miners going, and it keeps the fees low because for the miners uh, to be able to keep their miners running and there's no reward like in Bitcoin, um, then what happens? They're going to raise their fees to, to um, transact your, your transactions. So those are the key differences, um, the amount, the emission. Uh, oh, and also ASIC mining. So Bitcoin, you're using ASIC mining nowadays, right? Uh, but the difficulty level is too high for CPU or GPU mining. So what Monero has done is we, we actually block uh, ASIC miners. And why is that? It's, it's to put power back into the hands of people. So anyone with a simple CPU can be a miner and can run it. So rather than, you know, I mean, right now, as you see what's happening in Bitcoin, mining is becoming an industrial project um, where you just can't be a small guy and do mining. You have to spend millions of dollars and, and, and build a massive uh, operation to be profitable. So the, the Monero mindset's a little different. Uh, they think, no, let everyone should be able to mine. Anyone with, with uh, so that leads to decentralization, whereas expensive ASIC miners will lead to centralization. So there's, those are, I think those are the big uh, differences I can think of right now, but I think those are significant differences. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So Cake Wallet is born. Um, when Cake Wallet was first created, was Monero the only cryptocurrency that it supported? Monero was the only cryptocurrency. And, and honestly, for a long time, I thought Monero would be the only cryptocurrency. But as exchanges started delisting Monero and Monero became difficult to acquire, we did introduce Bitcoin and Litecoin eventually so people can bring those coins in and exchange them for Monero. Got it. So now the wallet supports uh, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Monero, and people can swap, you know, either of the, like Monero for Bitcoin, Bitcoin for Litecoin, whatever. And others that we don't support as a wallet, but we support as a exchange. So our partners change now, you must be familiar with them. So although the wallet is only for three coins, the exchange is, uh, I think, for 12 or 15 coins. Cool. And so I, I know another thing that you focused on a lot with Cake Wallet is just the user experience of it and making it user friendly as much as possible. Can you walk me through that process and what your thinking is around UX and like what are some key things that, you know, we need to think about to make it make wallets and, you know, keeping cryptocurrency and transacting cryptocurrency easier for the masses? Yeah, I think for 99.9% of the people out there, wallets are your first point of contact or, or to a tool to interact with the blockchain is your wallet. 
there is nothing else. I mean, if you're truly going to use cryptocurrency as a payment system, um, well, even for NFTs, for example, I mean, in, a wallet is what a person will use to send, receive, store, track, what have you. Um, so that's why I think it is important and it's important to make that user friendly. So with Cake Wallet, we've tried to make it simple enough where you, when you open it up, you're not intimidated. You open it up and you feel, okay, good, this is easy, send, receive, very easy, I, I can use this. But if you go into the settings and advanced settings and it's robust enough for, for advanced users. So we wanted to find a, a balance for that, you know, simple enough, not intimidating. Also, the name Cake is a cute name, simple. <laughs> Make it easy for somebody to open it up, log on. Hey, it's, this is great. And then uh, go deeper. You can find some advanced features. Gotcha. Did the name come from like it's a piece of cake, like it's meant to be like really easy? Is that where it came from? or? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, the Monero people have heard this story a thousand times. So, uh, But I'll tell you, it's, um, in 2017, one of the most popular Bitcoin wallets, at least for me, was Bread Wallet. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Bread Wallet and uh, Litecoin came out with a wallet and it was called Loaf Wallet. And I think Ripple or somebody came out with a wallet called Toast Wallet. So I just wanted it to uh, keep the bakery kind of theme going. And then that's how Cake Wallet came about. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. <laughs> it also works, though. Yeah, and it was the night before we launched. We're like, well, we don't have a name. What do we do? Okay, cool. I mean, cake is a lot of people's favorite, you know, dessert item. And I think it works too with like, oh, it's a piece of cake. It's so easy. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I didn't think of that at that time. But yeah, I've heard that a lot of people say that it's a piece of cake. Yeah, that's where my mind went at first when I heard cake wallet. Yeah, so I was going to ask like too, you know, like you said, for a lot of people getting a wallet and buying, you know, a little bit of Bitcoin or a little bit of Monero is sort of their first entryway into this whole crypto ecosystem. And so that process of like on onboarding somebody to a wallet has to be super, super easy. And so I'm wondering, like, because you're probably interacting with, you know, a lot of newbies into the space, like what have been some of your biggest challenges with educating your customers about wallets, about crypto, um, and then what have been some of your most successful strategies for communicating, you know, the, these concepts to people who are totally new to the space? Yeah. I mean, fortunately, you know, being a, a Monero wallet initially, the, I don't know how this is going to sound, but Monero users at that time were very advanced. I mean, they were, they knew how crypto worked and, um, and in hindsight, it was good launching a Monero wallet first before a Bitcoin wallet because you're entering with with a pool of people who are already dedicated to this uh, this cryptocurrency, dedicated to the technology. They have a deep understanding. So, you know, so the early mistakes were forgivable. <laughs> the early mistakes we made were forgivable. But as, you know, as time went on, uh, more and more people are getting into cryptocurrency. I'd say the biggest problem is... There has to be some understanding of how crypto works. You know, people don't understand what it means the wallet is synchronized, you know, because we are a non-custodial uh, wallet, what I call a true blockchain wallet. Yeah. So you're, it's your phone connecting to the blockchain. There's no server. There's no middleman. There's nothing. There's no accounts we can see. So definitely a lot of users have that mindset like they're using Venmo or PayPal. 
you know, they'll, they'll write to us and say, Hey, can you cancel my transaction or can you reverse that transaction? Can you block that transaction or, you know, um, can you track, especially in Monero, can you track this money? No, we cannot track. That's the whole point of Monero. There has to be, I mean, there's a trade-off, right? I mean, if you want a simple Venmo type of thing, yeah, then you use Cash App where, you know, there's no syncing to do. There's nothing. It's it's very simple. But if you want to participate in what cryptocurrency was originally supposed to be is having control of your own money under your mattress pretty much, then, yeah, there is a little bit of learning curve and, and understanding what, for example, synchronization means, uh, syncing to the blockchain. You know, 90% of our support tickets, I didn't get my Monero, I didn't get my Bitcoin. Is your wallet synced? Oh, no, it still says synchronizing. Okay, let it sync. Hang on. You know? So there's definitely, I mean, if you're going to use a, wallet, a, a blockchain wallet like Cake Wallet or or Samurai Wallet or, you know, so many other, or Monaruho, another Monero wallet, yeah, there has to be some understanding of how cryptocurrency work. I don't think you have to be a coder, you don't have to be an expert, but at least this fundamental thing that, okay, there's a blockchain floating out there in the cloud and this wallet is reading that blockchain and I just got to wait for it to finish reading that blockchain. So I would say that's our biggest challenge. Everything else works like butter. Yeah, for sure. And for somebody listening who maybe is brand new, because I've actually had friends who aren't in crypto ask me about like, hey, what is this Monero thing? Like I've heard about Monero. So like it definitely is getting out to the masses now. You know, it's not like a few years ago when it was just like really the the tech savvy people that were using Monero. Now it's like my friends who know nothing about crypto have heard about Monero and they're asking me what it is. For anybody listening, like maybe my friends who don't know anything about it, like how would you explain like how cryptocurrency works and then just like how it works to to like hold crypto in a wallet like what does that even mean and then what does it even mean to you know just like there is no middleman like you said you know you're non-custodial i think that's a difficult concept for people to even grasp you know when they've never done it before because everybody is used to you know like the vemos like there's customer support that i can contact to to fix things when they go wrong but it's like in this world if you send it to the wrong address like it's gone forever it's you know and, and i think that is a difficult concept for people to grasp so um if you had to explain all of this you know to a total newbie how would you go about explaining it i'm so glad you asked me that because i love explaining how crypto works and uh, i'm sure we'll get a lot of comments saying no that's not right the way i i explain it to somebody who has no idea like start from step one, square square one, you know, how, how cryptocurrency work. I use the general ledger example. I say, you know, look at Chase Bank, you know, Chase Bank, uh, for example, you have an account. Chase Bank keeps track of how much money you have. And if you want to send me that some of that money, Chase, Chase themselves centralized, that party looks at my, or whoever the sender is, I don't know if, if let's say I'm sending to you, Chase looks at my account and says, do I have that much money to send to you? And if I do, they send it. If not, they're telling me insufficient balance, right? And so they subtract, if I do have it, they subtract it from my, from my entry in the general ledger and they add it to your uh, entry into the general ledger and it just keeps going on and on and on. I view it 
chronologically from top to bottom. I know some people view it in their mind from left to right or right to left, whatever. But for me, it's top to bottom. So, so that general ledger, which is sitting with Chase Bank, for example, imagine it's not sitting with Chase Bank, but it's sitting on millions of computers. And, and that's also questionable, maybe hundreds of thousands of computers. It's sitting everywhere. That copy of that general ledger is sitting everywhere. So now if I want to send one Bitcoin to you, what the wallet is doing, the wallet is broadcasting to all these general people, all these people, all these computers that are holding that general ledger and said, hey, Vic wants to send Diana one Bitcoin. Is it true? Does he have it? And then all those computers start responding in the network. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. And if there's a consensus that, yes, I have enough Bitcoin to send to you, then it'll get subtracted from mine and get added to yours. And everybody's copy is automatically updated. So that's how I view it. I'm, I'm sure we're getting a lot of comments, people saying, no, no, no that's not how it works. But um, but I think that's a pretty good explanation of, uh, of how cryptocurrency work. So those transactions that happened uh, when I send you Bitcoin and last 10 minutes of all the transactions, they get uh, encrypted and compressed and attached to the bottom of the last block. And that's why it's called a, a blockchain. It's a chain of blocks, chain of blocks of transactions. So that's, that's my usual uh, go-to explanation. What do you think? I thought it was good. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very understandable way for people who live in our traditional Web two world. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a great explanation. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was a good one. I always I've asked this question to so many people, and I get so many different responses. But um, I, I thought yours was really clear and really easy to understand. So I'm going to try that on my friends, see if it works, see if it helps them understand what's going on. Also, if you have a Bitcoin, if you want to send me one Bitcoin, you're more than welcome to anytime. <laughs> Anyone, dianachen.crypto, send it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how easy it is now with unstoppable domains. Yeah, you just send it to your name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Looking into, you know, like all the crypto wallets that are out there right now, obviously we've made a lot of progress since 2017, you know, or even like a year ago, but there's still a lot of improvements that can be made, especially on the UX front. So in your view, when you look at these wallets across the board, especially like other big wallets, Coinbase, you know, all, all of these other big wallets, what do you see as some of the uh, most important or the biggest like UX features that still need to be improved in order to onboard the masses on, you know, onto um, the decentralized web and just decentralization in general. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's a combination of um, user interface as well as, as we talked earlier, there has to be some understanding of how it works. I mean, I, I guess if you're using a Coinbase type of wallet, which is, which is custodial, they could probably build their own, you know, some kind of address resolver type of thing like Venmo, you know, um, for example, if I'm going to Venmo, I don't give you some weird Venmo address. I give you my name and you can look me up, you know. So I think we need to see more of that in crypto. Again, you know, Coinbase, I wouldn't call them a wallet, right, at all. It's it's, a, it's an exchange. It's a custodial exchange that happens to hold your uh, crypto in, 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 in their custody. But when you talk about other blockchain wallets like uh, like Cake Wallet, to have a decentralized 
address resolver such as uh, yours, and we also have Open Alias. I don't know if you if you've heard of them. Not them. It's Fluffy Pony, and some other people wrote that. It's uh, DNS based. You you edit your DNS entry, and it resolves the address using that. I think that's a big step forward in uh, making this more usable. And what I especially like about Unstoppable Domain is that it supports multiple cryptocurrency. For example, in Cake Wallet, I just have to give you CakeWallet.crypto, and you can sell Litecoin, Monero, or Bitcoin. It's fine. You don't have to give a separate address for each one. I think that's fantastic. Obviously, like I believe in our product, I, I work here, you know, so I'm a little biased, but um, I do think that this is something that is going to be a huge help on the UX front because it's just not reasonable to expect people to like send, you know, this 40 string numbers and letters every time they want to make a transaction like that's not reasonable to expect at all. And there is just there's so much room for error. You know, you miss you miss one letter, you even if you copy and paste but then you like accidentally hit the delete button once or something. That's the wrong address, you know? And on mobile, it's hard to see the whole address, you know? The, it's just so long, it's hard to see, you know? Uh, it's, you have to cut off the middle or the, you know, it's, it's very difficult to see. Just as a side note, I was thinking about this recently. What's, what I find really frustrating is when somebody sends you a QR code, but I'm on the device that I would use to scan the QR yes. code. Yep. So I was thinking about that. So you know, this it's it's another uh, another area where the, where uh, your solution is uh, is useful. Yeah, for sure. I have run into that myself many times. The QR code problem, and I'm just like, I do not understand how am I supposed to scan my own phone using my phone? <laughs> if I'm with my wife, I'm like, can you take a picture of this <laughs> so I can scan her phone? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So zooming out and looking at like the the broader crypto ecosystem, what do you see as being some of the biggest roadblocks or barriers that are preventing people from entering into the space, you know, other than just education, you know, which is going to take time. That's a big thing that like I'm working on here and, you know, asking people to explain, like, how would you explain crypto to people is all of that is meant to educate the masses. But other than education and, you know, UX issues, like what do you see as being some other big barriers uh, for mainstream adoption today? Uh, oh, access. So many of my friends who wanted to get into Bitcoin, they're like, what do I do? Do I just call up E-Trade or uh, do I just call up Morgan Stanley? Whatever. Uh, until this year, right? I mean, before that, true, you had to go to Gemini or a Kraken or a Coinbase and open an account. So, you know, that it's there, it's good. But again, it was another step you had to do, right? Um, so I think access is still a huge thing. Most people don't even know how to get crypto. You know, Cash App is, is, is amazing. By the way, you can buy Bitcoin and Litecoin using your credit card and Cake Wallet. But, you know, Somebody just really wants, you know, work with a big company or whatever. You all say, fine, go use. Uh. So I think access is a huge, huge issue still. I mean, I understand PayPal, Venmo are, are selling crypto now, but you can't withdraw it, so it, it's useless. Uh, it's purely for speculation. So buying and having it in your own non-custodial wallet is still an issue. I think we still have a long, long way to go towards that. Another thing I just thought of, too, as you know, we're talking about like custodial wallets and non-custodial and things like that is I, I think, you know, there are sort of two schools of thought out there. There are the people who are just 
100% decentralization, like it's all or nothing. You have to, you know, fully adhere to the ethos of what we're trying to build, which is a fully decentralized world. And then there's like this other school of thought that's like, okay, but, you know, realistically, like, are we going to get people to just go from full centralization to full decentralization? Maybe not. And so we need to build in baby steps. And so in that sense, it's almost okay if we have a lot of uh, applications and wallets and things that are, you know, only partially decentralized, if it's going to help make make it easier to onboard people on the space. So I'm curious, like, which school of thought you fit in there? And, you know, also, like, just how you think about this problem overall? Oh, I mean, I'm all for decentralization in, in everything, if possible. I think we have the computing power and the bandwidth to do that in all walks of life. So you're talking to somebody who's completely believes in that. I mean, I believe in DeFi. I think it's great. Sure, there's growing pains. There's people getting rugged. And, you know, every every technology has had has, has problems. But I think in the end, and DeFi is a perfect application for, for blockchain, you know, so there's still a lot of development to be done. I think we are where we were with Bitcoin in 2012 or 2013. And look where we are now, where, you know, JP Morgan Chase is offering Bitcoin to its customers after bashing it for many years. So, and still we're early there, you know, so I think for decentralization, um, we're very early. My friends ask me, how do I, how are you getting these crazy returns in DeFi? How do I do it? It's, I mean, how do you even explain? No, download MetaMask, get Ethereum transfer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you can't even explain it. Either you have to watch the YouTube videos or sit down with somebody in front of a computer and just do it. But you can't even just explain it. You know, people are like, what, what are you talking about? MetaMask, it's a uh, browser extension. What are you talking about? You know, and they'll start crying and then the, They'll be happy with their two, three percent at uh, somewhere else. So, yeah, I think it, I think we're a long way to go, but I think uh, I would I would like to see decentralization and everything from banking to social media to messaging, everything. Yeah, I hear you. How do you see that playing out in social media? By the way, just curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, somebody will do it, right? Somebody will uh, come out. I think Zcash has some sort of social media. Uh, decentralized social media uh, called notes. I don't, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, I think somebody will do it. And as technology improves, you know, Bitcoin is great and I'm not bashing Bitcoin anyway, but you know, there's like Monero, for example, it's an improvement on, on Bitcoin. There's better smart chains than Ethereum right now until Ethereum, you know, so there's always evolution. There's always better things coming up, better minds are into it, newer generations come in. So I think somebody will, in the future, will have a social media, which is fully decentralized, and you won't even know it. You'll just download an app. Yeah, for sure. So what's new for Cake Wallet in the future, like in the near term and in the long term? Uh, what can we expect to see from Cake Wallet? Decentralized swaps. That's uh, that's a big thing for us, uh, especially for Monero getting, you know, last year got delisted from, I think, Bittrex and Binance US, for example, doesn't even list it. Coinbase doesn't list it. Gemini doesn't list it. So atomic swaps or other kind of decentralized swap, like Uniswap, for example, type of thing, that's big for us. Um, we're, we're looking at ThorChain. Or I don't know if you're familiar with that. ThorChain allows... Uh, 
chain-to-chain native swaps. So there's a lot of work to be done for Monero to be functional on ThorChain, and, and uh, we're actually we're, we're actually working with them. I mean, you'll see a lot of little little features come up. Uh, we're always improving Cake Wallet. Like, for example, we're putting in batch sending for Monero, and uh, we added coin control for uh, Bitcoin last week, which is a huge hit. Um, you're familiar with coin control, mm-hmm. yeah. So you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of features uh, which uh, give you a lot of flexibility in using the wallet and transacting how you want to transact. But the future, I think, for Cake Wallet, I think for, for I think for a lot of wallets, is decentralized exchange, whether through atomic swaps or a uh, the pool uh, liquidity pool route like Uniswap. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then if if you, you know, had to give your best guess as to where we'll be with crypto in 10 years, which I know is an impossible question. <laughs> impossible question. In your perfect world, if all goes according to plan, um, you could, you know, have your say at where things are in 10 years. Where would you like to see us being with crypto, DeFi, all of this in 10 years? Um, I think the way the route Ecuador is taking, which is that crypto is a legal tender where you could transact in just crypto to crypto and you don't have to go back to fiat because you can always use that crypto somewhere else. Will there be one, you know, a lot of people think there's, you know, maximalists think there'll be one crypto that wins out. I don't think that'll happen in 10 years, um, maybe hundred years, who knows the future, right? I mean, Currencies, if you take normal fiat currencies, you have the U.S. dollar, you have euro, you have yen, you know, you just have different currencies. And yes, a lot of countries like Ecuador uh, adopted the U.S. dollar. So, you know, there could be a path to U.S. dollar being, you know, the one single currency across the world for just using using that as an example. So I, I, I'm not sure if there's going to be one crypto that will win out and just like you have different fiat currencies and then there's different uses, right? Um, Bitcoin, for example, you want your government to use Bitcoin because you want it, you want to see where your, where your taxes are going, but maybe on a private use, you want to use uh, a Monero because you don't want the government to know or whoever your boss to know or your friends to know how much you have and what you're spending on. Uh, that gives you that privacy. And then you can have a smart chain like Ethereum or Solana or Binance Smart Chain for for DeFi and, and other things that live on the blockchain. So I think I think there's uses for I know I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but there's probably uses for different different um, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's probably right. Yeah. And if that use is not good for you, then don't use it. You have you have other options. So I'm going to get burned for that. I'm going to get killed for that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. I think it makes I think it's totally fair to say. So uh, don't don't come at Vic. Anybody listening, don't come at him. I think this is totally fair to say you're free to have your own opinions. All right. Uh, OK, so this next segment, I have this on every podcast episode. This is where I dig through your Twitter account and I pull out some interesting or cryptic tweets and I give you a chance to explain them. Everyone always gets so nervous about this and I'm not sure why because it's like, these are all things that you set. Like they're all from your head. So, you know, you should feel confident. Personal or the Cake Wallet account? Uh, Your personal account. Oh, okay. Uh, 
don't quote what I tweeted about an hour ago. I pulled these yesterday. So if you tweeted something an hour ago, you're safe. And that one's not targeted at you, by the way. I know. Don't look at the recent one. Yeah, I'll have to go check it out. Let's see what that and says. I have to go check it out. Now, now I feel like everybody's, I have to read it out for everybody because of the suspense. Oh, no. Right? Mm-hmm. But it's not targeted towards you. Believe me, it's not. For you, no, it makes you said, sense. Is this the one from three hours ago? About Calendly? You said, how, yeah, how about I send you my Calendly and you go through my schedule and book some time? Ooh, yeah, I do feel like that's targeted at me. It's not targeted <laughs> at you. I, I think, I think your, I think your use case is correct or, you know, a doctor's office is correct where, you know, but I think if you're, if somebody is making a one-on-one appointment and if you want to use Calendly, I, I'd be decent and say, Hey, send me your Calendly. Let me see rather than, Oh, here you go. Look in my book and figure out some time that is good for me. You know, it's uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm viewing it wrong. No, I, I get what you're saying. I think it depends on who wanted to have the call. Like, who asked who for the call? So, like, if I reach out to you and I ask you for a call... Then you should ask for my Calendly. Yes, yes. But if you reach out and ask me for a call, then you should ask for my Calendly. I think... 100%. Yeah. Yep. 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 That I get makes that. sense. I get that. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I've got two more tweets for you since that was a, that was a, that was a bonus one. Um, yeah. This first one I have is from July 16th, 2021. You said, my mornings since 2013, feed my dog, make coffee, buy some Bitcoin, and Monero from 2016. I, I love the, the morning routine. Um, I was wondering, do you actually buy Bitcoin or Monero every morning? And is that part of, Pretty much, I know none of this yeah. is financial advice, but is that part yep. of like some strategy? Because I, I definitely don't do that. Maybe that's something I should be doing. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it, um, uh, it's dollar cost averaging on a daily basis. You know, don't think about it. You do it at the same time every day. And it's a good long-term strategy because do a, do a little bit of something every day. And when you look back 10 years later, you're like, oh my God, you know, how did, how do I do this? So it has that, that mentality behind it as well. So a combination of both, just building a mountain with little pebbles and uh, DCA, dollar cost averaging. That makes sense. All right. I'm going to take a page out of your book. And then this other tweet I have is from June 9th, 2021. You said, the worst thing about Bitcoin is that it is transparent. The best thing about Bitcoin is that it is transparent. Exactly. Yeah. And we talked about this earlier in this conversation. Uh, for example, for, you know, for the government where your tax money is going or, or you're donating to some fund or, you know, you want to see how the money is being spent. You can do that with Bitcoin. I mean, technically you can do that with Monero as well. The wallet holder would have to expose that for you. But in Bitcoin, you can view that without the permission of the uh, wallet holder. So, so it's good in a way where, you know, for governments, for example, you want to see how they're spending. Um, but it's bad because everyone can see how you're spending. Yeah, I love that tweet, too, because it really shows that there's two sides to every coin, you know, and I think a lot of people either get super no hyped intended, about... <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people in this space tend to either get super caught up with, you know, crypto is everything, it's all good, you know, or like the the people that are skeptical out there, like crypto is, you know, bad, you know, a lot of Elizabeth Warren, I mean, not to name names, I won't name names, but... Um, You're on a list now. 
And I think the truth is, you know, like you said, like there are two sides of every coin. The best thing about crypto can be, you know, transparency or anything. And it can also be the worst thing. And it all depends how we use that feature. Um, if we use it for good or we use it for bad or what the whatever the case is. So, yeah, I, I, I like ending on that point. All right. Awesome, Vic. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today for this podcast. Before you go, just tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally, and then also where they can go to check out Cake Wallet if they are new to the space. Uh, yeah, for Cake Wallet, you can just go to cakewallet.com. Uh, there's links there for the App Store, for Google Play, as well as direct download uh, for Android. So you can skip the uh, Google Play. Uh, reach me personally. You can just uh, Twitter is probably the best way. Uh, which uh, my Twitter name is Vikrant NYC. My first name Vikrant and NYC for New York City. And one more thing I wanted to tell you. So we are the owner of uh, Monero.crypto on Unstoppable Domain, and we have mapped that address to the Monero General Development Fund address. So if any of your viewers want to donate to Monero, if they're big fans of Monero, they can just type in Monero.crypto. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Vic. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we will be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Thanks for having me on. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.